With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
Welcome, Hardcore Herpers, to Herpin' Time Radio. We've got an exciting episode lined up for you today. We're going to be talking to Zachary Brinks from Josh's Frogs. Um, he's going to tell us about all the changes that have been happening with Josh's Frogs since last time, which has been a while ago, actually, now. But anyway, I'm Justin Geyer, sitting at Herpin' Time Radio Master Control. Sitting right next to me is my Iguana Iggy. And she's uh, sleeping again, sitting there on a nice warm hoodie. And um, my partner in crime, the Pennsylvania wild man, J.D. Hartzell, is lost out there somewhere in the woods, wandering around looking for stuff. J.D., how's it going? Oh, man, I can't tell you how awesome it was uh, last uh, this past Sunday, man. I was out in the field, and, uh, man, I... I found two lifers. I found uh, actually an adult spotted salamander, you know, Amastoma macalatum. Yeah. And I found a, a little Allegheny dusty salamander. Yeah, I mean, and then just to make it better that day, man, I found two old friends. I found two wood turtles, uh, North American wood turtles. And, uh, I, I, you know, you have days like that, man. It's, it's just awesome. You know, yeah, it's hard to have a day better than that. You know, that's some pretty exciting stuff there. And, uh, um, J.D., now, you've done the studies on wood turtle populations. Um, have you seen them stabilize, or what's going on there? I was actually happy to find uh, a young wood turtle. He had a deformed shell. I had some pictures on Facebook and oh, stuff. But he, was about, he was about three to four inches and it was it was good to see a young one like that because you, at least you're you're seeing that they're reproducing and you know they're growing up and stuff in the wild. So that's 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 really cool. Yeah, it is. Now speaking about turtles, JD, turtles have been in the news quite a bit here lately. Um, there's been a couple articles that have been floating around Facebook over the last week, uh, basically saying the alligator snapper is not just one species but three separate species. Um, basically living in three separate river systems that are geographically isolated. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of physical difference between them, but they're classifying them as different species. Um, they've, you know, been isolated for some time. I know between two river systems, there's like seven rivers that do not have alligator snappers, so there's some distance there between them. And now that they're separated as different species, each one living in one river system, you know, it, they're kind of going to need a little bit more protection because if something happens, like a chemical spill or something, in one of those river systems, it could wipe out that entire species. So, you know, we're going to see what happens with that. But all that's just been coming out over the last week, or at least that's when I've seen it. And, J.D., uh, I've actually got an aquatic turtle here at the Guy Ranch now, um, an African side neck turtle that I picked up as a rescue. Um there was actually a, a guy that runs an organization called Friends of Goose Pond, land that they're under that they protect and conserve, and um, they do a lot of research on. Um, I'd done uh, my Herb Society had done educational presentations for them, and uh, the gentleman contacted me wanting to. I think it was his grandson had the turtle or something, and I don't know. For, I don't remember. To take care of it anymore So I said well I'll take it I mean he's, out, he's originally wanting to see Just anybody in the society Would take it but I was like ah, I'll take that um, Anyway I got her in it's, a, it's an adult female Side neck turtle And you know a lot of times JD with rescues They're kind of horror stories You've seen a lot of that yourself But oh, yeah. yeah But this turtle is actually take, well taken care of It looks like Um I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, it. It was actually taken care of just for whatever reason. Um, stuff happens, and they weren't able to care for it anymore. But uh, it's got a really nice set up um, that I like. The only thing is, though, I, I did make some changes. But um, I added in a, a power filter, so the water's staying a lot cleaner. But now out there in the reptile room, I constantly got the sound of like a waterfall, and I kind of like that. <laughs> but yeah. you now she's got yeah, a, a half bog in there; she can crawl up on top of to get out of the water, and, and she'll do that every now and then. But as soon as I walk in the room, she'll dive back into the water again. 
but she's she's pretty personable. You know, I'm I'm thinking I'm really liking turtles. I think I'm going to have to get a male for her and uh, maybe try to do a breeding project with those. What do you think? I think that's awesome. You know, turtle turtles are awesome, man. That's that's what got me into the reptile hobby altogether. You know. Being a young kid and finding a little uh, you can paint a turtle, you know, it kind of like sparked the whole interest in it. So you know yeah. what? Turtles rock, man. Yeah, you know, as a kid growing up, I was always out finding box turtles and stuff. But um, anyway, JD, we're doing a show today about dart frogs, and uh, how, how are your dart frogs doing? My dart frogs are doing awesome, man. I actually, I actually put an order from Josh's frog where Zach works, you know, and uh, got some fruit flies and stuff, and I'll be ordering a lot more of them. And, Good. Uh, yeah, they're they're doing awesome, man. They're, they're awesome to set up and that naturalistic tanks and stuff like that, you know. It's pretty it, – it gives you something to look at. It's like looking at a little world right there, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of those dart frog setups, they're just works of art in themselves. I mean, really, they're pretty awesome. All right, J.D., let's say something about our sponsors. David's Fine Geckos is a world-class breeder of fine leopard gecko morphs. Visit him online at davidsfinegeckos.com and on Facebook. He is also the host of Gecko Nation Radio, which is Herpentime's affiliate, which airs every Sunday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com slash Radio. Also follow the Gecko Nation Radio Facebook page for show links and updates. Justin Mitchum of Extreme Hogs specializes in cutting-edge western hognose morphs, from albinos to exantics and many other combos. The name says it all. These are extremely awesome hogs. Check out Justin's amazing work at extremehogs.com. FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape is the heating element of choice by the top rack manufacturers and best reptile supply distributors. Stick with the safest, most advanced, and most energy efficient heat tape in the world. If it doesn't say made in the USA, then it isn't the original FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape by Calorie. Herp House Magazine is your source for edgy, up-to-date articles about everything herpetoculture related. John Taylor has the goal of more content and less ads. It's no wonder Herp House Magazine is quickly becoming one of the best sources of herpetoculture-based information. Visit herphousemag.com and get your subscription today. Newt's Tees has some awesome reptile-themed shirts, including the popular Stop Rattlesnake Roundup. Bonnie and Don Hyatt donate a portion of every sale to Rise Against Rattlesnake Roundups. Buy a great shirt and support a great cause, everyone. Visit them at newtstees.com. TaylorMade Morphs is a great breeder specializing in ball python morphs and other top-quality reptiles. Justin can personally vouch for his work. Visit TaylorMadeMorphs.com today. Tegus Only is a Florida-based operation that rehomes wild invasive tegus. Rodney Irwin's mission is to help the native wildlife and also help the non-native tegus find forever homes. If you feel that you have a place in your home and heart for a tegu in need, please visit tegusonly.com today. The Texas Rattlesnake Festival is a no-kill educational event organized to help preserve these incredible snakes. In a time where we aim to change the public's perception of venomous snakes, this event is sure to enlighten many people. Visit TexasRattlesnakeFestival.net for more information. Ty's Lizards is your source for the best Seclora species and others. From iguanas, morphs, and tegus, Ty has some amazing projects underway. Visit Ty's Lizards on Facebook and connect with him today. And a special thank you to Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles for lending us his very own amazing jazz music that you are hearing. Thank you for that, David. Save my voice box there. Um, but we're going to have to get you to update that because we're also now in full support of the Herpers YouTube channel that Opus Entertainment, Dave Kaufman, is doing. It's kind of the next step of the evolution of the Herpers project. If You know, everybody knows the three D that are out, Herpers 1, 2, and 3. They're awesome films, um, documentaries. Well, that has now in, evolved into... A, uh, a YouTube channel, and they've aired their first episode last week. Hey, JD, what can you say about that? 
And you know what? That that was awesome. He saw the Python hunters. Uh, Michael Kong, Greg out there, man. It, it was pretty awesome. They showed some really awesome stuff. That Kevin Kevin McCurley on there. You know, it was pretty cool, man. I look forward to seeing a lot more. Absolutely. All right. And without further ado, I would like to welcome Zachary Brinks back to Herpin Time Radio. Zach, how you doing, man? Not bad, not bad, guys. How about yourselves? I'm doing wonderful. Been staying busy, getting into breeding season. Um, got a lot going on. So, uh, Zach, it's been a while since we talked to you, since you've been on our show. Um, what all have you been up to? Uh, expanding and growing. Um, yeah, we ran out of space. We used to have two smaller buildings, so now we're in a 37,000-square-foot facility. Um, I think we have about twice the employees and easily about four times the space dedicated just to breeding animals up here. So, yeah, been busy. Uh, that's good news. Sounds like everything's going really good for you guys over there at Josh's Frogs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Josh's Frogs is continuing to grow. Um, I think... I think it was about probably last time I spoke with you guys, I think we probably offer about twice the amount of products and breed at least one and a half times the different variety of, varieties of animals that are offered on the site now, too. Oh, yeah? Well, what what new species are you guys breeding? Uh, we're expanding a lot, which is cool with the room. And, you know, for now we're sticking primarily to frogs. Um, we actually, um, just a f- uh, last month we had a pretty exciting thing happen. We have absolutely bred a species of a boreal toad called the Asian yellow-spotted climbing toad. We were able to get some in from imported from Borneo a few years back. And to the best of our knowledge, this is like only the fifth or sixth time they've been bred on a decent scale in captivity, at least in the U.S. here. Oh, good deal. Good deal. That's awesome. That's oh, awesome. yeah, yeah. If you go right onto the, the homepage of the website, there's actually a link right on there that says Breaking News from Josh's Frogs. And every week I update it with how the tadpoles are doing and everything of that nature. Okay. Great. Um how long is it going to take the tad, those tadpoles to transform? Um, the literature varies a lot, um, but based on our other experience with toads and how they look like, I bet we're going to have the first ones out of the water in eh, probably about a month, month and a half or so, and they'll be coming out of the water for about a two-month period after that here and there. Okay, yeah. Awesome. Uh, how many How many babies do you have? Well, right now, um, I think we, the female laid about 5,000 eggs, and I think we got just about under 4,000 tadpoles out of them that hatched successfully. Um, and we still have, I'm, I'm once again, <laughs> big guesstimation here. I'm still thinking we have right around 3,000 tadpoles. Um, in the past, people have had a massive die-off just because you need such a large water volume to breed these. And okay. they tend to, the tadpoles actually inhabit streams in the wild, so you need really, you know, some good water flow, really, really highly oxygenated, very clean water. Okay. So um, we actually set up a 180-gallon horse trough <laughs> up here to raise about half the tadpoles and then have the other half divided into aquaria in smaller amounts where we're experimenting with different water conditions to see what, you know, what works best for them, how they grow, how, how to treat them better so they get faster or bigger, faster, or so on and so forth. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of times these newer species, that there really hasn't been a lot of them produced. Kind of got to experiment to find out what works. Once yeah, you exactly. Do, you know, you've got that knowledge out there. So we can all Yeah, exactly. Things. And that's exactly what we do with our blogs and everything. As soon as we have it all down pat, we definitely won't keep it a trade secret or anything. We'll be sharing all of our experience and stuff with anybody who wants to call and chat. And then just always on our how to guide section of the site, there'll be some good articles about how to do everything up there. Okay, um, well, what all do you have going on over the, the blog on the website? Um, I generally do them um, here or there, generally about once every week or two. Um, right now we're actually in the process of expanding a lot more on our plants and stuff. Um, we're up to offering about 350 or, or so species of very unfriendly plants now, all grown and you know propagated right up here at Josh's Frogs, all completely chemical safe for animals. Um, expanding a lot with um, care sheets on feeder insects and how to produce them themselves. Um, okay. Yeah, recently just finished a really nice update on um, a great um, great species of frog, the Solmonile leaf frogs, which you don't see too much about. Um, we've got those breeding again. I think we've got about 15, 20 babies um, on land now that will hopefully be ready to go in a couple weeks. And um, working on a um, the yellow-spotted climbing toad care sheet, which I expect to be updated as soon as we start having toadlets out of the water. And uh, right. we also just um, 
got lucky and we were able to breed the critically endangered golden mantella from Madagascar, too. Which um, oh, I actually have a group of those that live on my desk, and they went ahead and made babies for us. Oh, good deal. Aren't those the ones that they, they kind of lay their eggs on land and you have to, like, flood the tank every so often? Yeah, yeah, they're they're very very interesting animals. They'll um they generally inhabit um you know um, boggy areas during the breeding season, which is one of the reasons why they're critically endangered. Their habitat makes fantastic rice paddy, so a lot of that's being converted to rice paddy to grow food for humans over there in Madagascar, and kind of not literally leaving the frogs much space. But um, so we keep them on damp sphagnum moss, and they'll dig down two or three inches into the sphagnum moss, generally under something like a leaf or a piece of cork and lay a clutch of eggs under there, um, just in a jelly mass. And those eggs will actually hatch completely out of water, and those tadpoles will start munching on unfertilized eggs and the egg jelly and any other weaker companions there who can't keep away from them. And um, over time, the theory is, um, you know, heavy rains or would wash the tadpoles down to the water source or the water level would rise and eventually flood out the clutch. Here we let them, um, as soon as they hatch, we scoop them up with all the sphagnum and put them in a deli cup then add about an inch of water in there and let them kind of come out on their own and still give them a chance to eat some of those unfertilized eggs and stuff. They come out much, much stronger that way. Okay. Uh, how much success has, has there been in the past as far um, as the golden mantellas? One thing that I don't get to say frequently enough, and I'm really, really happy to be able to say so, there's actually been a lot of success with the golden mantellas, um, which is awesome for something that's so rare in the, in the wild. Um, there's enough people having success with these guys and enough bloodlines out there um, we've already set up a bunch of potential trades with future offspring to get more bloodlines and stuff in here that um, they could easily be, if they're properly managed in a hobby, we should have healthy outcrossed, not too inbred golden mantellas around for easily the next um, several decades based on what's, what's already here in the country that we have to work with. Oh, good. Good deal. All right. Um, J.D., what do you got going on out there? Dude, I'm, I'm probably about hip deep in water. Just chasing down my first painted turtle. <laughs> and, uh, and I tell you what, I tell you what, it's only 45 degrees out, and I tell you what, this water is cold. <laughs> yeah, most people wouldn't be in it at that temperature, JD. <laughs> well, you know me, I'm crazy. That's why they call you the Pennsylvania Wild Man. Do you have anything for Zach? Oh, you know what, Zach? I have so many questions for you, brother. <laughs> uh, whew, that is very cold. I'm I'm very sorry. I had to move up here because I'm sinking in the mud. <laughs> Ooh, that is that is cold. <laughs> Only on Herpin Time Radio. <laughs> I'm moving up. Uh, you know, note to self, man. Don't go in the pond. And that expect to sink in the mud. <laughs> you know, long, as long as I don't drop the phone, man, I'm okay. Yeah, hey, you're funny, JD. Yeah, you'll <laughs> be fine. Get out there. I do that all the time. Just uh, make sure you wear your floaties. You'll be a okay. I'm, I'm okay. Don't worry. Perping in a pond with like those uh, those little kid floaties they put on their arms for pools. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I may need them, man. This is pretty deep in here. Whew. All right, J.D., you got any questions for Zach? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Zach, I just got a bunch of dart frogs in the rescue. And I had them set up in a 10-gallon, and I got moved them to a 20-gallon high. But they're, uh, you know, they're three different species, the Luke's and the Aranus. Oh, and, uh, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to separate them now and put them in different tanks because uh, I know it's not good to keep them all together like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you have to worry not, not only about them beating each other up, but then they can also hybridize and produce fertile young, too. So never a good thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on, you know, getting more frogs and stuff. And, uh, you know, I love all the all the species, dendrobates and stuff. So I really... Really loves us as frogs, and there's there's so much information you guys have on there now, and especially you that you wrote most of it. You know, you're, there's a, a lot of knowledge there, brother. Oh yeah, oh yeah, saves us a a lot of time trying to get all that information out of there. So people who don't have dart frogs kind of know what to expect beforehand, and make sure they're going to be able to care for those animals for their 15 to 20 year lifespan. 
And also, even if they already have them, you know, it helps them troubleshoot, make sure those animals are getting the best care they possibly can. Oh, absolutely. And, Zach, you kind of touched on something I'd like to maybe expand on a little bit. You're talking about the, the frogs um, hybridizing. Um, as that is as controversial with the dark frog community as it is, say, hybridizing snakes with the snake community? I would go out on a limb here and say that it is actually much more controversial. Um, there's actually a, a company, an upstarting company, that publicly advertised hybrids, and they're getting bashed so much they took their ads down pretty quickly. Um, there's just a lot of these dart frogs will probably never come in from the wild again. Their populations are, some of them are doing quite well. Some of them are very, very small in the wild, though. So we okay. kind of try to ge- maintain as much genetic diversity of these animals and preserve them in captivity as you'd see them in the wild. Right. So whenever somebody hybridizes up, you know, those animals, a lot of times they look similar to one of the parents, just more washed out looking. But they yeah. could easily accidentally be passed off, inten- you know, intentionally, accidentally, as an actual pure-blood animal and really pollute the, bu- the bloodlines, which there's no going back from that. So, yeah, we're very, very, very careful about that, not only for the fact that they could hybridize, but also, more often than not, when you put two species together, one's going to live, one's going to die, you know, <laughs> and that's exact- not exactly optimal for your captive pets there. Right, exactly. So there's really not much of a hybrid market for the dart frogs. Yeah, no, no. There's there's a few people I've known who've, you know, first dart frogs, they picked up some from somebody at a show that they thought were pretty, and turns out they were hybrids, and there's really nothing you can do with those. You can't really breed them and sell offspring. Um, there's right. just not really a demand for them. And plus, there's so many different varieties out there. Um, there's no need to really make morphs because, you know, nature's already kind of done it for us. It's just a matter oh, of looking yeah, around and yeah. finding the ones you like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what's prettier than a dark frog? You know, <laughs> they're just they're just beautiful little animals. Oh, yeah, any any color you can think of, it's out there, I guarantee it. Yep, yep. Um, I saw a lot of them last weekend. I was at a, uh, a reptile show, and um, there were dark frogs on a couple tables. And I'm actually, you know what, Zach? At local shows and stuff, I'm actually seeing more and more dart frogs than what I used to see in the past. Oh, you absolutely will. Um, dart frogs are becoming, they're, they're right on the verge, I think, of becoming, you know, mainstream, at least for the reptile hobby. Um, there's just been so many advances in care and knowledge out there and how to take care of them, and uh-huh. it's so much easier than it used to be. They're becoming a lot more accessible to a lot of people. Absolutely. All right, with that, folks, we're going to go into a mid-show break. Don't change the channel. We'll be right back. You're listening to Herpin' Time Radio.
You're listening to Herpin Time Radio. I'm Justin Geyer. I'm joined with my partner, J.D. Hartzell, and uh, the green iguana, Iggy. And uh, we're talking to Zachary Brinks from Josh's Frogs. And I have to apologize for a technical difficulty we're having. Um, I cannot get the chat room to load up. So I don't know if there's anybody in there or not, or if they have any questions or anything. But if there is somebody in the chat room, I encourage you, to, if you have a question, to call into the show. The uh, number is 310-982-4202. So you're more than, more than welcome to call in, or you can message me on Facebook. I can see that. So anyway, uh, J.D., just before the break, yes, you said you had a lot of questions for Zach. Let's, uh, let's start knocking some of those out. Oh yeah, we, I mean we got really hit some, some stuff hard. Uh, you know, you're now you're culture for your feeder insects, so that's why I find pretty interesting, Zach. Uh, can you tell us a little bit of uh, the uh, species of feeder insects that you have and how you get them cultured? Oh yeah, that's easy enough. Um, for the um, the dart frogs, we're dealing with um, primarily four, and we actually just added a fifth spe- species up here. Um, mainly the late fruit flies. And um, for the, the purpose of the hobby, there's two main different fruit flies. There's Drosophila melanogaster, which is a smaller fruit fly, um, you know, a little bit smaller than a pinhead cricket. And then there's Drosophila hydei, which is a larger one. It's about the size of an eighth-inch cricket or so. Um, for either of those, you use a, a pre-made dry media. Um, we sell it up here in one-and-a-half and, and three-pound bags. And you um, – Put a scoop of that in the bottom of a culture cup, which you generally use a 32-ounce plastic deli cup. Add a bunch of boiling water to it. Um, add some excelsior, which is sometimes called wood wool. It's that stuff you see when you see like a basket of fruit or so, the straw-looking stuff that it's generally packed in. Right. in there. And that will serve a purpose to um, allow the fruit fly as a surface area to crawl on, and they also can lay eggs on there. Um, you let it cool down to room temp, add about 50 to 100 flies, pop a lid on, then keep it at about 72, 74, 75 degrees, ideally about 60, 70% humidity, and you'll have new melanogaster fruit flies hatch out in about 14 days, new Heidi fruit flies in about um, 21 days or so. All right. Well, how long does uh, one of those fruit fly cultures last before you have to toss it out and get a new one? Yeah. A lot of those guys um, can last quite a while if you let them, depending on the media. Um, we're easily able to get our cultures to last five or six weeks. Um, but we recommend people throw them out after about four weeks or so, four to four and a half weeks, just because at that age they get o- they get older. Um, it's really easy for them to start attracting grain mites from the surrounding environment. You know, they're in our cereals and our breads. They're harmless. But they really love fruit fly media. So get in there and start chowing down on that fruit fly media and huh? um, just kind of eventually outcompete the fruit flies if you're not careful. So either throw your cultures out at about four weeks or at least keep your older cultures um, away from your younger cultures that haven't started producing yet, so the, the mites won't spread amongst those. Okay. All right. Now, do you work with what other insects do you work with? I work with quite a few. Um, we've actually just started doing um, crickets in the not too distant past. Um, we're working with these banded crickets now. They're kind of a popular alternative to the common European gray cricket that we okay. found just is a little bit tougher to ship um, as far as more resistant. They ship a lot better. There's a lot less die-off, um, you know, which allows you to get, you know, actually what you paid for in the mail as opposed to, you know, that, that percentage of dead crickets that always seems to be present with right. the other species. And we've been breeding them for a while for our own use up here, and um, we actually just set out some um, test cups of um, pinhead crickets today to some free to some customers to see how they ship. And over the next couple of weeks, we're actually hoping to start offering those directly, shipping directly from us. With all the other stuff you can order through Josh's frogs, um, those are great. Just as a great treat for breeder um, frogs, and you can even use them as a staple for dart frogs too. Um, we also work with springtails, which are these little minuscule white um, isopods that live in the soil. Um, they look kind of like a super tiny grain of rice. They're probably about a sixteenth to a thirty-second of an inch long, really small. And uh, we actually culture those on charcoal. Um, we keep about an inch of standing water in a container with about four inches of charcoal, and they live in a really, really humid area above the, um, right above the water line, and we feed them um, our special springtail food we made up here, a lot of vitamins and minerals and stuff in there. And um, you can actually put those in your frog tank. Or they'll do, we call those tank janitors. They'll actually clean out your frog tank for you, break down frog poop, things like that, and release it in a, a free state that um, plants can use to grow. And they'll also breed right in your tank, and your frogs will chow down on them too. Well, that sounds like a that sounds like a really good food source to have there. You know, I mean, 
if you can set up if you can set it up where you have enough springtails where they're reproducing enough to where they're not all being predated by the dart frogs, you sounds like you it really cut down on your cleaning time and um and also, you know, you wouldn't have to put so much food in. Oh yeah, it helps a lot. Um the one downside about it is there's no real practical way to dust those guys with a vitamin mineral supplement. So they're okay. a good, you know, kind of off, um, you know, feeding source for these guys and, um, you know, to kind of help keep the tank clean. But it's still really important to feed fruit flies or small pinhead crickets. So you have something right. that you can dust really, really well with a vitamin mineral supplement. Okay. Now, going back to these bandage crickets you were talking about, now, do they grow to be roughly the same size as the European cricket or, or, what, or what's the difference here? Um, they get a little bit larger or so, and they have much larger antenna. And they're also quite a bit better at jumping. Uh, we still kind of have mixed feelings of them as adults and everything. Using them, they seem to be much more active, but at the same time, a little bit more difficult for um, for animals to catch when they're a little bit older. So we're still using them. They seem to work out just as well as the European crickets. They just kind of give the, that animal you're feeding a little bit more of a run for the money. Um, you know, the pinheads, however, though. Um, they're just the same, if not um, a little bit better than the other guys. Um, they're just hardier. They're much easier to take care of. You don't have that die-off like you do with younger pinhead crickets. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they just overall, they seem to do a, a lot better. And they also tend to be a little bit more active than typical pinhead crickets. They don't hide as much. So they're just easier to feed to your animals, too. Okay. Do you work with um, any of the aquatic food sources, like, say, brine shrimp or anything like that in case, I mean, I don't know, for, like, any carnivorous tadpoles or anything? Um, not too much, just because there's a lot of the gel foods, um, especially by, like, Rapashi superfoods make a lot, a lot of their fish foods are really, really applicable for feeding the tadpoles. Um, we do culture Daphnia in small amounts, um, the little water fleece, and we yeah. also culture, um, or, um, uh, brine shrimp on occasion when we need it. We actually have a bunch of oxalotl eggs right now that will be, not, we generally purchase live blackworms. You don't really culture those indoors, but we'll be supplementing their food with Daphnia culture here as well as some brine shrimp. Yeah, we just did a show last week all about axolotls. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a species that I'm I'm getting pretty heavy into. But, yeah, that's what I was wondering about. Now, um, uh, how do you... Basically, I'm, I'm asking because I'm going to have to do it with my axolotls, but this can apply to some other things as well. But how do you go about culturing the uh, the brine shrimp and the daphnia? Um, it's really, really easy. Um, with a brine shrimp, you can actually just get a really simple culture kit, or you can make your own out of a two-liter bottle with an air stone in there. And brine shrimp grow in salty water, so you need to kind of make that first. Um, put them in there. Generally, they come in eggs, dried eggs, and all you have to do is get them wet, and they'll hatch right out in the water. Um, yeah. And they'll shed, actually, too. So you want to separate the brine shrimp from the egg capsules. So what you can actually do is shrimp, the brine shrimp are attracted to light. So you can actually set up a deal to where you kind of get them to move towards the light so you can separate them from the egg cases a little bit easier. And then you want to make sure you're separating them and rinsing them off generally or separating them out of the salt water because you don't want to dump that salt water in with your oxalotls or whatever else you're feeding them to. Um, right. The Daphne are quite a bit easier. We simply keep them in a, in a glass aquarium in the window. Let the aquarium get really, really scummy. We just have an air stone in there to keep it oxygenated. And um, they'll eat infusoria. They'll eat basically green water. Um, So, you know, dirty conditions, little protozoa, algae, things of that nature. That you can just culture right in the bin if you keep it dirty enough, pretty much. Okay, well, now do you guys smell Daphnia or any of that stuff? Um, we don't right now. That's something we may mess with in the future. Um, we're looking at a lot of that stuff just because of the difficulties in, in expense and sometimes shipping stuff that's in water. Right. Um, and we also have to look into a lot of, I don't think there is any restrictions on Daphnia, but a lot of the feeder insects, if you're not careful about, they're actually um, illegal to transport across state lines. Um, okay. The big ones being, um, actually, it's technically illegal in the U.S. to transport um, cockroaches across state lines, with the exception of the hissing cockroaches. So those are the only ones we offer on the site right now. But even those dubias and stuff, technically they're actually considered a crop pest. Really? So, yeah, by the USDA. We've, we've applied for permits on those and basically been told they don't issue them. <laughs> the only way to get them is if they're, like, for research or laboratory purposes, not for sale to the general public or anything of that nature. Okay. All right. Did not know that. All yeah, right, yeah we, were, we were pretty surprised, too. 
Yeah, yeah, wow. I've never heard that before. All right, J.D., what other questions do you have? Well, uh, about the dart frogs and stuff like that, uh, what is the perfect setup for them, uh, Zach? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward, um, for, especially for someone, say, just starting out looking for two to three frogs of the same type, of course, um, an 18-18-18-inch exoterra cube, um, those glass terraria, or a 20-high aquarium would be great for most species. Um, and you want to set it up as a naturalistic vivarium. Um, it seems kind of ominous when you're kind of getting into it at first, but with a little bit of research, um, they're very, very simple to set up. And if you set them up properly, you can literally go years between changing out the substrate. Plus, they look darn cool. I mean, who, who doesn't want a little bit of jungle in a glass box in their house? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like a, it's like yeah. a work of art, you know. It's, um... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's very simple. But you start out with about a two-inch um, layer at the bottom for a drainage layer. That way, um, you know, it kind of mimics in the wild whenever it rains. You know, the water doesn't just kind of sit there on the soil level. It generally drains off. So you want to provide kind of a reservoir for the water to go whenever you miss the tank in the bottom. So about a two-inch layer. Um, we use this stuff called Josh's Frog's Fault's Bottom. It's actually an artificial glass product made in the USA. You can kind of think of it as like an artificial lava rock. So it's really, really lightweight, which makes it easy to ship. It's cheaper for us to ship it to you. It's cheaper for you to get it. And also it, you know, makes your tank lighter overall. Um, on top of that, we do a substrate barrier, um, basically a fancy term for weed block, which works really, really well. Uh, most people just don't want to buy a huge old roll of weed block to do their tank, you know, do right. one little tank. So we we offer sections of that. Um, on top of that, you want two to three inches of what we call ABG, or Atlanta Botanical Gardens mix. Um, that's just basically a modified orchid bark substrate um, that lasts really, really long time, and it water runs through it really well. Plants grow really, really well in it. Um, you know, very, very easy to maintain and everything. Um, you know, about two, three inches of that, plant your plants in that. On top of that, about just enough long fiber sphagnum moss to cover the top of the soil so it keeps the dirt off the frogs. Then dump some leaf litter, which is dried leaves on top of that, just mimics the rainforest floor, and you're pretty much good to go. Okay, all right. What about um, what th- things like... Uh, uh, foggers or waterfalls or things like that yeah you can put those into the tank um just keep in mind if you do incorporate like a pond or a stream or a waterfall in the tank most of the frogs aren't going to actually utilize that like you think they would they might drop off tadpoles but they're not really going to hang out in them or anything too much so a lot of times that's more for looks so it's not required to keep dart frogs and in a small tank we generally recommend against it um, just yeah. because you're taking up value, valuable surface area that the frogs would utilize otherwise. Um, yeah. As far as foggers go, they're great for effect. You know, run them occasionally. We have a 140-gallon tank up here in our break room that has a fogger that runs for about 15 minutes a day or so. We have it set so it goes off at lunchtime so everybody can check it out. But um, okay. foggers tend to help with the humidity, but they can also really, really saturate things in the vivarium. So you kind of got to be careful about it. Okay, so use them sparingly. Exactly. I use them here or there for, um, for um, you know, keeping the humidity up. But honestly, even for humidity, it's much better to hand mist or have an automatic mister because not only will that help with the humidity, but it will also spray the plant leaves and such and rinse frog poop down to the bottom of the tank. Where the springtails can eat it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that frog poop's not going to do much for you if it's not on the ground. All right. Now, if, if there is, like, a, a little pond or something in there, and you're you're talking about the frogs maybe dropping off some tadpoles in it. If they do that, can you just leave the tadpoles in there, let them mature there in the tank, or do you have to remove them? Oh, you can absolutely let them in there. Um, they'll eat uneaten fruit flies that drown in the water. Um, you know, a biofilm, you know, a layer of bacteria and algae and stuff that's perfectly healthy that'll naturally grow in that water section. And depending on the size of the tadpoles, they may very well eat each other. Um, some, a few species of dart frogs, um, a lot of them belong to the genus Ranatomea, which are known as um, the thumbnail dart frogs. Adults are literally about the size of your thumbnail. Well, the female will actually stop by where those tadpoles are. and Generally, they house their tadpoles individually because they tend to be cannibalistic. But she'll actually lay infertile eggs in that water source for the tadpoles to feed off of until they become a froglet. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, that's pretty neat. All right. All right, J.D., what else you got? Hello, J.D.? <laughs> I think Bigfoot got him. Uh, he's, probably, he's probably photographing something. He does this a lot. I'll just, like, start yelling yeah. at him on the air. And, 
and he's actually like, oh, I was I was photographing something, bro. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, we'll get we'll get back to that. All right. Um, now earlier we were talking about not keeping species together. Are there any that you can keep together that will get along and not hybridize, like say almost like a community type tank? Um, there's ways of doing it. Um, as a general rule, we do recommend against it, um, just because especially a lot of people, you know, when they're first getting into the tank, into the hobby, it's either too large or they may just simply not have the experience to realize what a healthy dart frog looks like and acts like. So right. it's really hard to tell, you know, tell when something's not working out if you don't know what something's supposed, what something should look like when it's healthy or how it should act normally. Right. Um, but there are a few, um, a few varieties that tend to do all right in larger environments. Um, it's kind of controversial. We generally, like once again, we generally recommend against this, except in a few circumstances with experienced keepers. Um, but you can do some things um, over in Europe. They're very, very popular. Um, to mix frogs, but you generally are dealing with a tank that's several hundred gallons, whereas the average tank over here might be 20 or 30 gallons. Right. Um, one of the right. best mixes I've seen that I've never heard of not working when a tank was large enough are um, Epipetobates anthony, um, uh-huh. which are these neat little frogs that start out life as this teeny tiny brown frog with whitish yellow stripes. And after about a year, you get a frog that's just under an inch long or so that is a bright red background with minty green stripes there. You know, kind of like a Christmas ornament or something. Oh, wow. um, but they're nice and loud. They're small. Um, they're an epipetobates, so they're not closely related to dendrobates, or what are considered sometimes the true dart frogs. Right. So there's no chances of hybridization or breeding or anything of that nature. Um, but they have a nice loud call. They're generally found near water. Um, they occur near streams and stuff in the wild. And um, those actually do pretty well when kept with um, some of the larger species, like um, a really popular mix are those and dendrobates leucomelis, um, the bumblebee right. dart frogs. Um, the main okay. thing is just space. You're going to want – I wouldn't even consider it unless you're dealing with a tank of, you know, 125, 150 gallons, maybe a little bit larger. Right. And even then, you kind of want to have experience first. You definitely don't want to do this with your first frog tank. You want to right. be able to know what you're looking for so you realize when something isn't working out. Um, just because, you know, you want to make sure these animals live their lifespan. A lot of these guys will live 10, 15, 20, 25 years plus if you take good care of them. So they should have every chance to live in their full lifespan regardless of how we're keeping them. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, J.D., are you back with us? Hey, guys, I just did a ninja grab. I jumped right in the pond to to get a nice-looking eastern painted turtle, man. I was taking pictures. I told you. You know how it is, brother. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I called it, didn't I, was... Zach? <laughs> Zach, you there? Yep, yep. Sorry, I cut out for a bit there. Oh. <laughs> I called it, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so, J.D., did you actually catch the turtle this time? Yes, I did. I even have pictures to prove it, brother. Brother, oh. I'll put them up here shortly. All right. <laughs> You're making fines even on a cold day. Yeah, it's only 44 degrees now. It's dropping now. Um, you know, now now I'm soaking wet, though, man. I might as well just wear shorts and just, just jump in. Yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get pretty chilly with all those wet clothes. Yeah, I'll That's be right, tripping in the stuff. car going home naked. You know what I mean? That's a visual I did not need. <laughs> Makes me glad this is a radio show. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? I was gonna do the live video thing though. You know. No, yeah, yeah. Don't 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 invite me to that webcam chat. <laughs> I hear that, Zach. <laughs> All right, Jamie, uh, anything yeah. else for Zach? Oh, oh yeah. I mean. Uh, you check, I say to everybody, check if you're getting a dart frog, check out Justice Frogs, man. You guys, you know, you're doing an awesome job with them and stuff like that. And uh, they are an awesome species to keep. You know, I, I love watch, sitting there watching mine move around and stuff in the tank and stuff. You know, it's better. Well, I'm not saying better than fish, but about the same, you know. <laughs> Josh's Frog, that'll be the first probably 10 things that pop up, or you can go straight on over to joshesfrogs.com, no apostrophes, no spaces. 
Make sure there's an S in the middle there, um, you know, and head on over there. Um, you can easily get a hold of us by emailing us directly through the website at info at joshesfrogs.com. Call the 1-800 number up at the top. Um, you know, give us a call sometime. We love to chat about this kind of stuff and make sure everybody's getting exactly what they need to take care of those animals. So, oh, Absolutely. All right, Zach, I'd like to thank you for coming on. Um, as, as Just like before, you're a great guest, full of all kinds of information. But uh, anyway, man, thanks for coming on, especially at such short notice. Oh, no problem. No problem, guys. Always always hey. can make time to talk herbs. So. Oh, yeah. Hey, right, Zach, I'd like to talk, talk to you after the show sometime here. And, yeah, uh, no worries. Um, yeah, just, just give me a call. No problem. Awesome, awesome. All right, Zach, thanks for coming on. No problem, guys. Take care. Yep, you too. All right, bye. All right, right, J.D., what do you think? I think that was an awesome show. You know, there's so much information that can come about dendrobates and stuff like that, you know, and, and, you know, Zach is the guy to talk to about it, and he's he's just an awesome guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's very knowledgeable. And he's really good at putting his the information out there, too. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I, that's a guy I'd like to hang around, hang around with, drink a beer with, off purpose with, you know? Oh, absolutely. You know what's funny, though? I'll tell you a funny story real quick, you know? As a kid and stuff, I used to... I would see a painted turtle and stuff and jump right in the creek, you know? Now, you know, this Saturday, I'm going to be 42 years old. And guess what? I'm still doing the same thing. Yeah, you're still jumping in the water after turtles. <laughs> <laughs> it is oh, cold man. out here, too, brother. You got to love it. I know, J.D., I'm the same way. Well, oh, last spring when I was out there, J.D., you saw me dive down a rocky hillside, sliding down the rocks to grab a garter snake. Oh, absolutely. You know, you had to do the ninja the ninja moves and the, all that. Oh, yeah. You know, that's what makes it fun. Yeah, yeah, but hey, you saw that, so, yeah. Yeah, I remember <laughs> another time I dove right through a briar bush to grab a racer, and that, that I am immediately regretted. But, you know, you don't really think about it at the time, just like, snake! And then you, you got to grab it before it gets away. <laughs> that's what that's what I like to say about the wood turtle finds that I had. You know, yeah. I was I was looking in the, I was looking in the streams and stuff for them and stuff, and here I was walking up along the the shoreline there on the bank, and I kicked the thing of grass, and that was the first one right underneath the grass. Oh yeah. Yeah, they were up on land. They weren't in the water. Okay. So, I mean that. Huh. I thought that was kind of strange, but, you know, they're a pretty cool species, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, J.D., um, who we got coming on next week? No. Now you don't even know, brother. <laughs> oh, we got, it's Adrian and Laura Berg from Crossbone Corns coming on next week. Oh, sweet. Oh, yeah, yeah, really looking oh. forward to that show. You know what, J.D., I got to meet Adrian and Laura and hang out with them down at the Texas Rattlesnake Festival back in March. They're really good people. Um, I've bought a couple snakes from them. Uh, I suggest people uh, check out Crossbone Corn. Listen to our show next week. We'll have Adrian and Laura on. If you want to call in and talk to them or whatever, go right on ahead. But anyhow, thanks for listening. J.D., you ready to call it a day? Yeah, it's less rock, brother. Don't do anything stupid. See you next week.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.